You're listening to the podcast of the Biopharmaceutical Section of the American Statistical Association. Statistics. 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 Hi, folks. Welcome to the show. This is Richard Zink, and you are listening to the podcast of the biopharmaceutical section of the American Statistical Association. This is episode 38, and today I'm talking with Amanda Goldbeck. We discuss statistical leadership in her recent book on leadership and women in statistics. Now, as always, when these discussions, people are sharing their personal opinions, so don't overinterpret their comments as representing the groups or organizations with which they participate. Now, let's start the show. Hi, folks. Our topic today is statistical leadership. Today I'm talking with Amanda Goldbeck. Associate Dean for Academic Affairs at the Faye W. Boozman College of Public Health for the University of Arkansas for Medical Sciences. She is the lead editor and author of Leadership and Women in Statistics. Thanks for being here today, Amanda. It's my pleasure, Richard. Well, to start off, can you describe your statistical journey for us? How did you get interested in statistics and how did you end up practicing in health and biological applications? Well, my father loved mathematics. He was studying to be an electrician, but then World War II happened. He was on the beachhead at Anzio and served in Africa and Italy. When he came back from the war, he was needed in the family grocery business, and so he never realized his dream of becoming an electrician. But he did enjoy helping me with my math homework when I was in high school. He helped me to learn algebra at the kitchen table. I think all parents should make connections with their kids by doing math together. I was in a class of gifted kids. We were given the opportunity to learn calculus in high school. I might have been in the very first high school calculus class in Milwaukee. I was good at math, but I was also good at writing. I was the editor-in-chief of the student newspaper at my junior high school and my high school. And I also wrote feature stories for the local newspaper when I was in high school. So when I thought about college, I remember trying to decide whether to major in math or journalism. I decided on math because I was interested in applications of math to the real world. When I got to Grinnell College, my math advisor helped me to realize that what I was really interested in was statistics. But unfortunately, Grinnell didn't have a course in statistics at that time. I guess that's why I ended up studying both math and anthropology. My anthro advisor had a quantitative data set. He hired me as a research assistant, and I taught myself how to program in SPSS and did a cluster analysis for him. It was my very first statistical analysis. Then I went to graduate school at Berkeley in anthropology, thinking that anthropologists did all kinds of quantitative analyses. I quickly found out that this wasn't the case at the time. I also quickly found out that the academic job market for PhDs in anthropology was slowing way down, and I couldn't afford to wait around for the job market to open back up. I needed a future. One of my classmates suggested I switch to the doctoral program in biostatistics. There was a professor in biostat, Chin Long Chang, who did birth and death stochastic process modeling, 
and in anthro, I had been specializing in demography. So Biostat seemed like it would be a good fit for me, and it was. Chang suggested then that I talk to Elizabeth Scott in the statistics department and get a master's degree in statistics on the way to my doctoral degree in Biostat, and that's exactly what I did. So I guess I was always interested in statistics. I just didn't know it. And I ended up practicing in health and biological applications because I was interested in how populations work. I was interested in their dynamics and their challenges. Can you describe your current role as dean, and how is this different than your previous role as a faculty member in biostatistics? Hmm. Senior leadership positions in academe tend to be very difficult to describe. There are so many aspects to the role. I found this to be the case when I worked for a private college as their vice president and academic dean. Likewise, I found it to be the case when I worked for a system of higher education as their vice president for academic affairs. And now I am again finding it to be the case working for a university for medical sciences as an associate dean for academic affairs in a college of public health. I guess if you're an experienced leader, you make the role look easy, just like if you're a good teacher, you make the role look easy. My career hasn't been linear. I haven't climbed straight up a ladder. My career has looked more like a jungle gym. I've adapted my career to the needs of my family, and they have adapted their needs to my career. I have a husband who has a career, and we've worked very hard over the years to simultaneously maximize both of our careers. My son, he's beginning his career, and we've worked hard to give him a good beginning. As a result, my own career has been all over the jungle gym. Sometimes I've gone up, sometimes I've gone sideways, sometimes I've gone down on the jungle gym, and really not in any order. I came to my current role as associate dean from a regular faculty position where I did teaching, research, and service. Now I pack the teaching, research, and service into half of my time, and I pack administration into the other half. When you're an academic administrator, you end up putting a paragraph on your CD that describes your position. So here's what I wrote for my CV. My primary responsibilities are focused on helping to guide the academic programs in the college. I provide leadership to doctoral program directors on policy development, department chairs on faculty development, faculty on research development, the instructional designer on digital learning development, the State Department of Health on advancing access, and the college student government on student initiatives. I provide oversight on new academic degree program development, as well as on convocation, commencement, and orientation. I chair the College Academic Standards Committee and the College Doctoral Program Directors Committee. For students in academic programs, I serve as liaison to the Office of the University Registrar and as disciplinary officer. I serve on the University-Wide Academic Affairs Associate Dean's Committee, the University-Wide Intercollegiate Faculty Council, the College Dean's Executive Committee, and the College and State Health Department's Joint Oversight Committee. So that's the paragraph that I wrote for my CV. Basically, my job is to develop a vision for academic affairs for the college, to work with others to develop that vision into one that is shared, and then influence others to help achieve that vision. 
I've only been in my position for six months now, and so I'm still working on my own vision, but I can tell you that at the center of it will be a transformative and accessible educational program and a faculty development program that gets faculty off on the right foot and helps them on a path where they can be truly instrumental at creating healthier communities. Where did you learn the basic leadership skills that you practice and teach today? I remember learning some leadership skills way back in junior high school. I did a lot of volunteering, and there were lots of opportunities to lead groups. It was basically learning by doing. For example, I learned the basics of chairing a committee by being the president of the art club. And junior high school was just the beginning. I continue to do volunteer work, and I still see volunteer opportunities as great ways to further develop my leadership skills. For example, there's a joint data committee that has representatives from five professional associations in mathematics and statistics, including the American Statistical Association. This committee oversees the annual survey of the mathematical sciences. A few years back, I was asked to represent the ASA on this committee, and now I've been asked to chair the committee. I have a vision that the annual survey data will be more widely used, and so I'm working to sharpen my skills at statistical communication and storytelling and to influence others to do the same. Shortly after I was appointed to my first senior leadership position in academe, two things happened. One is that I went back to Grinnell College and I established a relationship with my counterpart there. And at the same time, I ran into a former mentor who suggested I read John Cotter's book called Leading Change. I was really taken with the ideas in the book, and I soon realized that there are literally thousands of books on leadership. I read whatever seems useful at the time. Reading about leadership and reflecting on what you have read really helps you to develop your leadership. The other thing that happened is my boss, who was president of my college, offered to send me to an executive education program at Harvard University called the Institute for Educational Management. It was a three-week intensive course for people at the dean level and above. I found myself studying, discussing, and reflecting with people who were facing the same or similar challenges, and I soon realized that there are many leadership institutes out there. So I looked for leadership institutes that can be useful for me at the time. For example, as I was moving to higher levels of leadership, I attended the Millennium Leadership Initiative. This institute was sponsored by the American Association of State Colleges and Universities, and it develops people for the highest levels of academic administration. For another example, as I realized the importance of negotiation in virtually everything we do, I attended an executive education program at the Harvard University John F. Kennedy School called Mastering the Art of Negotiation. And for yet another example, as I became aware of the narrowing pathway to leadership for women in science, I attended a Women in Leadership course prepared by the American Academy of Neurology. I look for strategic opportunities to learn and then to practice what I learn. Also, I've taught a course on leadership in public health, and you always learn a lot when you teach. And now I've been the lead editor of a book on leadership and women in statistics. You always learn a lot when you write. So where did I learn the basic leadership skills that I practice today? I learned them in a whole variety of ways. I practiced, I read, I studied, I taught, I wrote, I discussed, 
and I reflected on my leadership all along the way. How has statistical thinking enhanced or influenced your leadership style? This is a really good question because of how important it is to understand one's leadership strengths. I think statisticians should understand that they develop a number of skills as they practice the profession of statistics that they can then bring as strengths to their leadership, especially what I'm thinking about are skills that we develop as consulting statisticians and as collaborating statisticians. Think about what we do as consulting or collaborating statisticians. We come to the table with people from all kinds of different disciplines, and we participate in discussions with all of these different people. Here we are developing critical leadership skills of working effectively with diverse groups, of listening well, and of communicating well. Also, I think we have special expertise at, not to mention an orientation to, examining evidence and asking questions that help clarify what needs to be done to solve problems. Evidence-based questioning and decision-making are important to productive and ethical leadership. We like to get to the point, and that's an important leadership skill. Within this process, we as statisticians try to influence the science team to use the best research designs, measurements, methods, and procedures. Influence toward a goal is what leadership is. When we're successful at influencing the science, that's leadership whether or not we are the designated leader of the team. I think what I've been saying applies to both statistical consulting and collaborating roles. Now, looking at the consulting role in particular, consulting statisticians bring an outside perspective to the table. We develop skills at seeing a research problem with new eyes, which can really help to move the research forward. I think the skill of seeing with new eyes is a really valuable leadership skill in any setting. I already mentioned early on that I'm a statistician and a writer. Senior leaders in academe are expected to write and revise academic policies. I've often reflected on how statistical thinking, together with experience writing research proposals, influences my policy writing. I think I'm particularly good at policy writing because as a statistician, I have developed skills as a clear and logical thinker, skills which readily transfer to writing policy that is clear, concise, consistent, logical, and easy to use. You know, the number of statisticians in senior academic leadership positions is growing. Over time, I think we'll learn more and more about the specific strengths that statisticians tend to bring to academic leadership. As individuals, it's important that we understand our individual leadership strengths and weaknesses because then we can work to strengthen our strengths and strengthen our weaknesses over the course of our careers. I think we each should make a lifelong commitment to developing our leadership. You mentioned some skills, uh, but what other skills are necessary for effective leadership? This is actually a huge question. Let's think in terms of leadership competencies. Leadership competencies are skills and behaviors that contribute to superior influence toward a goal. There are tons and tons of leadership competencies. We know, in fact, that there are at least 67 of them because there's a company that makes a deck of cards, one card for each leadership competency, and there are 67 cards in the deck. Which are the most important competencies? Well, people have done studies on this. One was just reported in the Harvard Business Review. The author of that article 
interviewed about 120 leaders in 15 different countries. The leaders were asked to identify the most important leadership competencies. So here are the 10 competencies that came out on top. Has high ethical and moral standards. Provides goals and objectives with loose guidelines and directions. Clearly communicates expectations. Has the flexibility to change opinions. Is committed to people's ongoing training. Communicates openly and often is open to new ideas and approaches, creates a feeling of succeeding and failing together, helps people grow into next-generation leaders, and provides safety for trial and error. The magazine Psychology Today also wrote a list of the top 10 leadership skills. Their list included these, social intelligence, interpersonal skills, emotional skills and intelligence, prudence, courage, conflict management, decision-making, political skills, influence skills, and area expertise and competence. So you can see from the two lists, one from the Harvard Business Review and the other from Psychology Today, that even leadership experts express competencies in different ways. No matter how they're expressed, these leadership competencies are very hard to master. We need to keep working and working and working on them. Statisticians are technically savvy, uh, but do you think we neglect skills or training that may make us more effective in our day-to-day jobs? Statisticians are very technically savvy. Our training focuses on the technical, and we pride ourselves on our technical skills. On the other hand, statisticians as a group haven't paid much attention to leadership development. In fact, there's almost no training in leadership in our statistics graduate programs. Two courses that I know of are a course in biostatistics leadership at the University of North Carolina Chapel Hill and a course in biostatistics communication at the University of Pittsburgh. There may be others by now, but there can't be very many. In reaction to this landscape and in recognition that all statisticians should see themselves as leaders if they are to have maximum influence on the science, the ASA decided to develop a workshop on statistics leadership. They began to offer the workshop at the JSM a few years ago. I was part of the planning group for this workshop. It is delivered over an afternoon and the next morning, and it has centered on the themes of influence and seeing the big picture. It fills an important gap in leadership training. The leadership workshop is one of several career success workshops that the ASA now offers. Some of the other statistics professional associations have followed in the footsteps of the ASA and have begun to offer a few sessions on career success factors. But these professional association efforts are still in their infancy and the workshops need to reach more statisticians. One wonders why it's taken statistics so long as a discipline to consider leadership training. One wonders why statisticians haven't demanded such training. You're lead editor and author of Leadership in Women in Statistics. How did this book come about, and was it the result of a statistical leadership course? Over the past decade or so, I've been studying women's issues in our profession, in science, and in academe. I guess I've always had this interest, but it became productive around 2008 when I began working on a biography of the late Berkeley statistician Elizabeth Scott. She was a major player in promoting the status of women in academe and has 
a major statistics award named after her. The book is in production, and it's going to appear in March of 2017, just next month. Back in 2011, influenced by my work on the book, I assumed the position of president of the Caucus for Women in Statistics, and I also got involved in the ISI Committee on Women. I asked questions such as, where are the women in the JSM registration guide? And where are the women among winners of statistics awards for research and scholarship? And how underrepresented are women in the statistical sciences? I've published papers on some of these topics. So this work, combined with my own leadership background and interests, and I had the idea to propose an invited JSM session on leadership and women in statistics, which I did with Yulia Gell. We offered this session as a panel discussion at the 2013 JSM, and I chaired the session. We asked the panel five questions. Number one, what has been your leadership path, and how has it been influenced by gender and statistics? Number two, why should women statisticians be interested in leadership? Number three, what training do women in statistics need to be successful leaders? Number four, what barriers result in fewer women in statistics at levels of organizational leadership, and what strategies have been effective in addressing specific barriers? And number five, why do we think our society or community could be better off if we had more women leaders in statistics? Richard, now that I think about it, these questions are similar to those you have asked me in this interview. Anyway, the JSM question had high impact. The room was packed. Ingram Olkin and I connected there. Chapman and Hall invited me to do a book based on the session. I invited Ingram and Yulia to co-edit the book with me, and the book became Leadership and Women in Statistics. So the book wasn't the result of a statistical leadership course. It was the result of experience and catalyzed by an invited session at the JSM. How did you identify the individual chapter authors? Identifying chapter authors was a process that might be hard for me to describe. I developed a proposal to the publisher, and I developed an outline of the book as part of the proposal. The publisher asked us for potential contributors, so we made a list that had more than one potential contributor for each proposed chapter. We made this list based on our knowledge of people's expertise and interests. And, of course, we first invited the people who served on the JSM Invited panel to contribute to the book. After we started contacting contributors, things got dynamic. The outline of the book morphed as we added contributors, and the list of people to contact morphed as well. I remember using my training in academic leadership and negotiation when I worked with potential contributors. As an academic administrator, I have to throw balls to faculty members, and I try to throw balls that they want to catch. In the book, I would think about individuals and their interests, and then I would pitch a chapter topic to them that I thought would best meet those interests, all the while keeping the framework of an outline of the book in my head. So we ended up with a book that has 27 chapters written by 34 very thoughtful scholars. The chapters are grouped into seven sections, Fundamentals of Leadership, Fresh Opportunities and New Challenges for the Statistics Discipline, Project Leadership, Leadership Competencies, leadership development platforms, individual strategies, and institutional and network strategies. 
At the end of the day, there were many statisticians we would have loved to have asked to write for the book. I wish we could have asked them all. But going back to the process, the dynamic process that I described worked very well. The publisher told us the book was remarkably coherent for an edited volume, and I'm proud of that. And the book has gotten some really great reviews. Now, this may be challenging, but what are the top three lessons to be learned from the book? This is challenging because our contributors have gifted our readers with so many important messages. But here is an attempt to come up with the top three. One is that all statisticians should develop their leadership. This will benefit the science, it will benefit the organization, it will benefit the profession, but importantly, it will also benefit the statistician. The book tells you why all statisticians should develop their leadership. Another lesson to be learned is all statisticians can develop their leadership. You know, there used to be an idea that people are born to be leaders. Now we know that individuals are born with stronger and weaker leadership competencies and that leadership competencies can be worked on, just like you work on your health or your wealth or whatever. And just like you work on your health or wealth over the course of your entire life, so should you work on your leadership over the course of your entire life. The book tells you how you can develop your leadership. A third lesson to be learned is every statistician's leadership journey is unique. One person will climb up a ladder to a high-level organizational position. Another person's career will be more like moving around a jungle gym where some movements are up, some lateral, and some even down. This person may be moving in and out of organizational leadership positions. Another person's career may not involve organizational leadership positions at all. This person should still think of herself or himself as a leader anyway because she or he should be doing everything they can in order to have maximal influence on the science. The book contains many individual stories about leadership to illustrate that your leadership journey is yours alone and that the important thing is to find work that's meaningful no matter where you are on the jungle gym. Now, we've talked a lot about what statisticians should try to do uh, in developing their leadership. Is there anything that they need to avoid along the course of their career? The book is so positive, so this is a very interesting question and one that I hadn't really thought about. I guess there are a few messages in the book about things we can avoid, so here are a few that I can remember. If you have certain aspirations, avoid staying in a job that doesn't provide opportunities toward those aspirations. Avoid being too modest. Share your work in ways that can help it to have the most impact. Avoid your own implicit biases by recognizing them. That's very hard to do. So what I'm verbalizing here is really an aspiration. Avoid transactional leadership, which is leadership that centers on rewards and threats and aspire to transformative leadership, which involves more of a cheerleading role and collective inclusiveness. Avoid seeking legal remedies except as a last resort. So really, I had to think very hard to come up with even this short list. This is a book about what we should all be doing, not what we should be avoiding. Though there's an emphasis on women in the title, fundamentally, this is a leadership book for everyone. However, what are the key differences or important points that are stressed for women in statistical leadership roles? You're right that this is fundamentally a leadership book for everyone. We put women in the title because we wanted to get everyone's attention. 
Some people have implicit biases about leadership and about women, where men are thought of more as leaders. We wanted to have something to do with interrupting those biases. We wanted to get the attention of women so they would think of themselves as leaders and so they would build their confidence as leaders and be more effective at things like self-promotion and negotiation. We wanted to get the attention of men so they would think more about women as leaders. But really, we wanted to get everyone, both men and women statisticians, thinking of themselves as leaders. It's argued in the book that we need more women in statistics who have well-developed leadership skills. But I think the contributors had to dig deep to describe key differences or important points for women in statistical leadership roles. So what they ended up presenting are what I would call fine points or nuances that come into play for women. This is why you need to read the book. The fine points or nuances are not easy to put in a list. For example, one contributor remarked that a woman leader might have special challenges due to the fact that her followers may not have experienced her type of leadership before. The same contributor commented that it might be more complicated for women to, dis- to demonstrate gravitas or image or executive presence. You have to read the book to understand these fine points or nuances and you have to read the book thoughtfully to comprehend them. Basically, I think the consensus among the contributors would be that this is a book about leadership for everyone, but there are some bonuses that have to do with women. One is that over half of the chapters are written by women, which means that we have a lot of women's perspectives in the book. Another bonus is that many women leaders are highlighted in the book, which means we can learn more about these important role models. Is it your hope that this volume will serve as a foundation for statistical leadership courses uh, in statistics and biostatistics departments across the country? We didn't set out to edit a book that was targeted for use in statistical leadership courses, but I think the book turned out to be very suitable for that purpose. As I mentioned, right now we only have a few statistical leadership courses or workshops around the country, So until more departments develop such courses, and I sincerely hope they do, and until more professional associations develop more types of leadership workshops, and I sincerely hope they do, the main use of the book will be for self-study or to facilitate small organic group discussions about leadership. The book has an entire section on some of the platforms from which you can develop your leadership. Contributors talk about how you can put leadership into practice by volunteering in professional organizations like the ASA or by pursuing challenges in your workplace or by engaging in multidisciplinary research teams or by contributing your statistical skills in service to others. You can develop your leadership almost anywhere through intent and self-reflection and you should think about developing your leadership over the course of your entire career. Our discipline is just beginning its journey to embrace leadership development. I'm confident the book will find many uses as we move forward on this journey. Now we've reached our final question. Um, How can individuals exhibit leadership uh, in any job role that they have? This question is really at the heart of the book. You don't have to have a fancy organizational title to be a leader, and you don't have to have a particular style to be a leader. You just have to influence others to help move an enterprise toward a goal. You can influence subordinates if you have them, but if you don't have subordinates, you can influence your collaborators 
or you can influence your team leader or even your team leader's boss. You can learn behaviors and competencies that will help you become more effective at influencing in all of these different directions. The Leadership and Women in Statistics book provides an insightful window into those behaviors and competencies. And importantly, the book provides an insightful window into leadership for both men and women. Well, Amanda, I want to thank you for being with me today and talking about leadership and your new book. I wish you success with your book, Leadership and Women in Statistics. Well, thank you so much, Richard. It's been my pleasure to be here. There you have it, ladies and gentlemen. Along with episode 36, we have a lot of insight into statistical leadership. If you haven't seen Amanda's book on leadership and women in statistics, please check it out. Now, do you have something to say? Why not submit an abstract to the Non-Clinical Biostatistics Conference or the Regulatory Industry Statistics Workshop? Head over to the BioFarm website to submit your abstracts. We're currently accepting abstracts for talks and posters for the Non-Clinical Biostat Conference or roundtable discussions and posters for the Regulatory Industry Statistics Workshop. A quick plug for episode 39, I'll be talking with Alex Dmitrienko, the current chair for the biopharmaceutical section. We'll be talking about the recent draft guidance on multiple endpoints and what he hopes to see happen in the section this year. Have a good one.